0: thanks for listening to the christ covenant sermon podcast for more information visit ChristCovenant.com. Amen. you guys could take a seat it's great to be with you tonight uh it's right that we're here it's good that we're together tonight um if you do have a bible our passage of scripture for tonight comes from john chapter 2 john chapter 2 um if i haven't met you i'm jason and uh i have the honor of being one of the pastors here at christ covenant and uh and I have the honor of opening God's word for us tonight. So let's read together John 2, and uh, we'll read through verse, uh, verse 13 through 22. Verse 13 through 22. We believe these words uh, were given to us by John the Apostle, but he was writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God. And therefore, these words come to us tonight with the same kind of authorities as if Jesus himself were teaching. And so let's hear together the word of Christ. The Passover of the Jews was at hand and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and money changers sitting there and making a whip of cords. He drove them out of the temple with the sheep and the auction and he poured out the coins of the money changers and he overturned their tables and he told those who sold pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remember that it was written, Zeal, for your house will consume me. So the Jews said to him, What sign do you show us for doing these things? And Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Then the Jews said, It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you will raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this. And they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. This is the word of the Lord. Well, 856 years ago, actually 856 years ago this month, some people believe 856 years ago today. The first stone of Notre Dame Cathedral was laid. 856 years ago this month, the first stone of Notre Dame Cathedral was laid. Now, what's fascinating about that, and we all watched the news this week, but what's fascinating about the people that built the cathedral is they knew, the people that laid that stone 856 years ago, maybe tonight, those people that laid the stone knew that they would never see the completion of the cathedral that they were working on. They knew that their children would never see the completion of the cathedral that they were working on. They knew that their children's 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 children would likely not see the completion of the cathedral that they were working on, and yet they gave their whole lives to it, incredible craftsmanship, incredible artistry, incredible beauty uh, that they were trying to create in this space, in this cathedral. And of course, you know, the Notre Dame Cathedral, if you like remember this from, you know, I don't know when you learned this in school, but I remember learning it in school. You, it has the flying buttresses, right? It's, I guess maybe when you're learning about Gothic architecture or something, or, or when you're learning about world history, you learn about Gothic architecture, and you learn about the flying buttresses. Brad, uh, Bradley Shigas said he was an architect. Though. That's kind of not fair. Uh, building science. Yeah, yeah, sorry. But anyway, same thing. But anyway. <laughs> You learn about the flying buttresses. Well, the reason that the cathedral had the flying buttresses, the reason you had to have buttresses that were flying, which means they were kind of outside the structure, is because they wanted to make ceilings in Notre Dame Cathedral that were so high that the structure couldn't support the height of the ceilings. Uh, You know, it's it's actually interesting. We did this trip to Israel a few weeks ago and we had a couple hours in Paris uh, on our way. And so a bunch of us ran into town. This is like two and a half weeks ago. We ran into town, saw Notre Dame Cathedral. Had no idea it was going to burn this week. Uh, and then on, you know, went on to Israel from there. But and I've I've been there a couple of times before. But just even walking in, even this time, you're just you're kind of awestruck. You see, the reason that they they built the cathedral this way, the reason that they went to such effort to build this thing, they knew they wouldn't see the completion in their own lifetime, is because the builders of the cathedral were were trying to build a building. They were trying to create a place that communicated transcendence. They were trying to create in the worshipers there a sense of awe, a sense of wonder, a sense of beauty that was beyond the material world, that was beyond the here and now. You could say they were were building a temple, a place where finite and infinite came together. A, transcend, a, a, a transcendent place, a place where the material world and the transcendent world met. A place where we could commune with the divine. You know, it, It's interesting that, that people have always done this. People have always built temples. Temples are a part of humanity. You go anywhere in the world, you go anywhere in the world, and what do you find? Go anywhere in the ancient world, uh, in the east, in the south. Uh, all over the Middle East, all over, anywhere you go, in all ancient places, you find remains of temples. These places where the people were trying to create or trying to experience some sort of a transcendence. There is this thing in the heart of man, and it's always been there. We know that the material world is not it. We know that there's something more. We know that, if you will, there's another side. And people have been trying to cross over to the other side, to, to grab hold of the other side. The temple is a place where heaven and earth meets. And, of course, this temple, this, this grand temple that Jesus is talking about here, was seen as that. Of course, this was the great temple. Herod's Temple, of course on the Israel trip we, we just got to see the remains of it. But Herod's temple was one of the grandest structures in the whole Roman world. I mean the Temple Mount, if you if you get a chance to go to Jerusalem, the Temple Mount is thirty-six acres. <laughs> they built a thirty-six acre platform to hold this stunning and grand temple. If you, if you remember from your Bible, there was Solomon's temple that was destroyed by the Babylonians. And then there was this guy, Zerubbabel, he's not a super famous, if you don't remember that name, it's okay. But he kind of rebuilt the temple, and then after him, Herod rebuilt the temple. And it had been this grand rebuilding um, uh, you know, venture where the, the whole the whole force of the Roman world was put into rebuilding this. And, and as we read here, it had taken 46 years, thousands of people, thousands of workers, 46 years, day in and day out, building this temple. We actually know from records that the the, the reconstruction of the temple, this project that Herod took on, started in the year 18 BC. Of course, these events... In the beginning of the ministry of Jesus are taking place about 30 BC or so. So what does that tell us? It tells us this, this just got finished, right? If it took 46 years, this, this just got completed. This, this is brand new, the, the greatest thing that's ever happened in Judea, one of the greatest structures in all of the Roman world. And of course, this was so sacred to the Jewish people because it was a transcendent place, The Jewish people believed that God dwelled in their midst in the temple, that God literally was present in the Ark of the Covenant, in the most holy place within the temple. And again, the temple is not only important to Israel, it was important to everyone. We see it everywhere in the ancient world. Now you might be thinking, some of you might have come to this Good Friday service, and you're like, you know, I came with a friend. I understand what you're saying about ancient people and temples, but we're not ancient people, right? We haven't suspended our thought. Um, you know, the, I think I was watching this interview with Bill Maher. He says, you know, religious people are intentionally suspending thought. He's like, uh, you might be thinking, I'm not like that. I haven't suspended my thought. I know that ancient people believed in temples, but we are enlightened people. We we know that there is no transcendence like that. And To which I would ask, Really? Is that really true? Is that the way people really behave? You know, even even this week, watching all the interviews of people when they were talking about Notre Dame, uh, these were secular news people. And they would even say, like, I am not religious, but... And then they would use the most, like, transcendent language to describe what they had seen and talking about the beauty and the awe and everything that they experienced when entering into Notre Dame Cathedral. I read this. This is from the Washington Post not a religious newspaper, and this is not a religious person. This is Wendy White, and she writes, Notre Dame centers me. I know where everything in the world is from there. So does, does that sound like enlightened materialistic worldview? No. People are still looking for the other side. People are still looking for the transcendent. We, we still have temples, only now they look like the Mercedes-Benz Stadium, right? What a what a temple. And you know what? People go there for transcendent experiences. People go there for concerts where they're lifted out of themselves and they connect with something that's bigger than themselves. People go there for sporting events where they get to see heroic redemption. You know, even if you just even listen to the transcendent language that people use when talking about Tiger Woods this week. You know, redemption, heroism, you know, uh, the, the, the kind of worship that was taking place. People will always have temples. They want to get to the other side. We know that there is something more than the material world, but we know that we need a mediator. We know that we need something to get us there. And so people have always had priests and they've always had temples, and we still do. And as the temple... The temple in this day, is, as it is today, was a place of wonder. You know, if you, I hope you got to come in um, on the way in. And if you didn't get a chance, I mean, obviously you can look around afterwards. There's just amazing pieces of art uh, that, that different artists, different local artists have, have placed in this room. And, they, and they go along, if you look in your little booklet there, they go along with several themes. The theme of celebration, the theme of sacrifice, the theme of fear, courage, denial, affirmation, condemnation, grace, completion, commission. And you know, all of these emotions, they, they, they tell us so much about the human heart, about the human life, but these were all things that you would have felt in the temple. The temple was a place of celebration. It was where God was among the people. How much do you have to celebrate? God was with us. It was obviously a place of sacrifice where people made sacrifices for their sins, where they sought atonement for their sins. The temple was certainly a place of fear. I mean, after all, God was there. You Didn't know what might happen in the temple. It was a place of courage. If God was with Israel, then who could be against Israel? It was a place of denial. People, as we read here, had turned the place, the temple, into a marketplace, into a place of hypocrisy. But it was a place of all these things. It was a place of affirmation. It was a place of condemnation. It was a place to, to come before the presence of God. It was a place of grace and forgiveness. You could truly find completion and wholeness in the temple, and it was a place of commission. it was a place where through Israel, God was going to bless the whole world. The temple for Israel was all of this. It was their life. It was transcendence. it was celebration, it was joy, it was completion. It was wholeness. If you ever have a chance to go to Israel, the most sacred place in Israel is, though, at least for the Jewish people, is the western wall. And, and if you've never understood that, you know, I was telling somebody about that and they didn't quite understand what the Western Wall was. It, it, the Western Wall is not the Western Wall of the temple. It's the Western Wall of the Temple Mount. It's, it's, it's really just like the Western Wall of the platform where the temple used to stand on top of 2,000 years ago. So think about that. And if you go to the Western Wall, there's, it's an intensely reverent place, even though there's no temple on top of the Temple Mount. Even though there's no ark in that non temple on top of the Temple Mount. And yet it's an intensely reverent place, and there's an intense seriousness and weightiness about it. All of this is taking place there because the people are remembering that, that this, this centerpiece of our life, this, this identity piece, this temple where so much of our identity, where celebration and courage and grace and completion, where it all happened, it all happened here at the temple. But it's also a place of mourning. In fact, the Western Wall is also known as the Wailing Wall. And oftentimes, even now, even today, when Jewish people go to the Wailing Wall, they'll rip a piece of their clothes if they haven't been there in a while because it's a place of mourning because there is no temple now. When Jewish people celebrate the Passover, when they celebrate Yom Kippur, they'll, they'll oftentimes end those celebrations by saying, next year in Jerusalem. And what that phrase means is this, next year that maybe the temple will be restored. Next year, maybe we'll all be in Jerusalem. The temple will be there and we'll be celebrating Yom Kippur rightly because you really have to have a temple to truly celebrate Yom Kippur. Next year in Jerusalem, maybe all will be right. And I tell you all of this to give you a taste of the depth of meaning that the temple was for these people. If people treat the temple like that now, if they treat a wall that used to hold the platform where the temple used to be now, if that's the way it's treated now, then think about the reaction to Jesus when he said to these people, tear this temple down. Tear this temple down and I will rebuild it in three days. I was just, that, that was offensive. Tear the temple down? Jesus is talking about tearing the temple down. That's the sign he's going to give us. He's going to tear the temple down. This temple is everything to us. How dare Jesus even suggest such a thing? And, you know, even the outlandish comment, I'm going to rebuild it in three days. Like, can you imagine what the people must have heard? I mean, there's literally a stone in the Temple Mount that weighs one million pounds, okay? One of the stones weighs, not all of the stones, but one of the stones that's in there weighs one million pounds. What's one guy gonna do in three days to rebuild this thing? What was Jesus saying? Well, we get a little bit of an explanation. It says that he was referring to his body. But as we understand the fullness of the 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 biblical narrative, there's actually really more to it than this. what Jesus was saying that is what his disciples really understood after the resurrection was this. the temple, this place, so much of the Hebrew life. It was wrapped up in the temple. But Jesus was saying the temple is going to be destroyed. He actually predicts this in another way, very particularly, In Matthew, but he says the temple is going to be destroyed. And it's going to be destroyed in two ways. The temple had both a physical life and a spiritual life. And Jesus is saying here the temple is going to be destroyed. In both of those ways, the temple is going to be destroyed spiritually and the temple is going to be destroyed physically. Physically, of course, it was destroyed by the Romans. Uh, When the Romans in AD 70 took the temple apart piece by piece, they did not leave one stone of the temple standing on the temple mount. And there's not been a temple on the temple of uh, Jerusalem, on the temple mount of Jerusalem since AD 70. Not a stone was there. So physically, The temple, as Jesus predicted it would be, was destroyed. But spiritually, by AD 70 the temple had been destroyed for many years. One of the inexplicable things that happened when Jesus died, and, and actually this is recorded in more than just biblical texts, but one of the inexplicable things that happened when Jesus died is the veil, the curtain that separated the holy place of the temple from the most holy place of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. When Jesus died, the veil that was, if you will, the wall, the barrier between the holy place and the most holy place where the spirit of God dwelled, literally, again, recorded in, in even extra biblical sources because it was so inexplicable, tore from top to to bottom and this was to signify I want you to hear this this was to signify the spiritual death of the temple the temple would have a physical death in 80 70 at the hands of the Romans but spiritually when Jesus died the temple died tear this temple down this temple spiritually and physically is going to be destroyed and I am going to raise up a new temple so what does it mean that Jesus was referring to his body Well, you have to understand what it means, what the gospel, what the coming of Jesus is all about. Why did God have to become a man? Why did God become to be like us? Well, he came to be like us so that he could identify with us, so that he could join with us in every way. I want you to hear that. Jesus became like you, God, the transcendent God, right? Remember the mystery of the other side? How did God resolve that mystery? He became like you. He became like you so that you could know him. He identified with you so that you could identify with him. Jesus became the true man. Jesus lived out the life that all of us should live out. That's what he did. He was the truly obedient son of God. He was the truly obedient child of God. He was the true man. But he wasn't just the true man. He was also the true priest. He was the true mediator between God and man. The work that Jesus has done has has made a way for us to truly have communion with God. But he was more than just the true priest. He was the true lamb. He was the true sacrifice, right? The lamb of God, as John the Baptist said, that takes away the sin of the world. And Jesus was also the true temple. Jesus was the true dwelling place of God. Jesus was where the spirit of God was truly pleased to dwell, and when Jesus died, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit of God was so identified with Christ that when Jesus died, the temple died. The spiritual, the the, the death of Jesus signified the spiritual death of the temple. The curtain was torn, the Spirit left the temple, and the temple spiritually was destroyed. Destroy this temple, and in three days, I will raise it up. On the day that Jesus died, on Good Friday, the temple was spiritually destroyed. But on the day that Jesus was raised, on Resurrection Sunday, when Jesus was raised, the temple was restored. Three days later, the temple had been torn down, and three days later, the temple was restored. Only when the temple was restored, the Spirit didn't go back into the most holy place. No, it was the Spirit of God that brought a dead man to life. It was the spirit of God that brought Jesus to life. It was the spirit of God that from Jesus empowers and fills everyone who knows him, everyone who believes in him. In the Old Testament, we read about this day of atonement, the one day a year when one person, the high priest, was permitted to go to stand before the presence of God after going through so many ceremonial washings and so, and so many ceremonial custom, this whole process of cleansing. One day a year, for just a few moments, the high priest, on behalf of all the people, was able to just go and stand before and make sacrifice before the ark of God where the temple dwelled. That's how sacred this place was. Nobody could go back there. Nobody was clean enough. Nobody was holy enough. But you see, the promise of the gospel, the promise of the new covenant is this, the promise of the new temple is this, that if you find your identity in Christ, Jesus has made you so clean, so unblemished, so holy, that you can't just go stand before the presence of God, but literally the spirit of God himself can come dwell in your life and not kill you and not destroy you as would often happen when people touched the ark, when people messed with the presence of God but in Christ we've been made so pure, in Christ we've been made so righteous, that that God, through his church, through his people, is building a new temple. Destroy this temple and I am gonna build a new temple and this temple is gonna be better and it's gonna be grander and it's it's not gonna be 36 acres, it's gonna be global, it's gonna be all over the world, it's a living temple. The church, the church global the church of all language the church of all place the church of all time this is the temple that jesus came to build by the power by the same power of the spirit that dwelled in that in that 2000 year ago temple now dwells in the hearts and in the lives of the church you know people always wanted to go into a temple People always desired transcendence. They needed a place. They needed a mediator. But don't you see what Jesus has done? He's given you transcendence all the time. He's given you indwelling transcendence. He's giving you indwelling presence, indwelling power of God. The question for us tonight, though, is this. Which temple, which temple are you looking to? Which temple are you holding on to? What is your temple? You know, what is your temple? You know, Jesus said this and he was totally laughed at. He was totally rejected because this temple, this great structure in in Jerusalem was everything to them. How do you even talk about destroying this temple? They didn't believe in the new temple that Jesus was raising. Which temple are you hoping in? You know, where is it that you find transcendence, right? Where is it that you find identity? Where is it that you find celebration and grace and joy? Where is it that you find life? What is it that makes you, you? Where are you finding, what is your temple? What is your place of worship? What is the place that, that really has a hold of your heart? You know, some of you walked in here tonight, and, 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 and really and truly, your job is your temple, your career is your temple. That is the thing that makes you somebody. That's the thing that makes you special. That's the thing that makes you important. That's where you find celebration. That's where you find peace. For some of you, it's a relationship. You have this relationship and that relationship. man, mean, if something were to happen in that relationship, then I don't know, everything might crumble. It's this relationship that brings me wholeness, that brings me peace. For some of you, it might be family. It might be your children. A lot of people find identity in their children. There's so much hope. There's so much promise in them. They're the center of your life. For some of you, it's, it's your wealth. That's where your true peace and satisfaction is. For some of you, for a lot of people, it's a future achievement, right? I know I'll be somebody when I do this. I'm going to do this in my life, and I'll know I'll be somebody when I accomplish these things. And look, th- there's nothing at its base level wrong with any of these things in your life, but none of these things were designed to truly satisfy you, to be your identity, to be your place of worship. If you're, if you're looking for your job, for example, to bring you satisfaction, you'll always be frustrated at work. Even if you have a great job, it'll never be good enough for you because it's not designed to fulfill you. You'll always be complaining. You'll always think, I deserve a better job than this because jobs aren't supposed to satisfy your soul. Jobs don't get you to transcendence. If, if you're looking for your husband to satisfy you, boy, poor guy, you know, Husbands aren't temples. <laughs> Husbands are not where the Spirit of God, I mean, I hope the Spirit of God's dwelling in your husband, but that's, that's not your transcendent place. There's, there's, no, there's no eternal hope in being married or having kids. No, no, one, no one can live up to the expectations of your heart. And all of these temples that we find identity in, they're so susceptible to being torn down. You know, I got a buddy who started this company, and he he gave his whole life to it. He gave his life to it. And about 10 years ago, some people kind of underneath him in the company pushed him out. And they got the board involved, and they pushed pushed him out of his own company. And you know what? He still hasn't recovered. Like, he's still depressed over that. He's still kind of living back in 2007 when everything was great. I got another friend that went through a divorce almost 30 years ago and his whole family was torn up and, and, and he is still rocked by that. His temple was destroyed. His temple was destroyed and, and you know it's as, it's as if these guys are going back to the remnants the western walls of these temples and trying to find meaning there. But they're empty temples. The spirit, if you will, has left the temple. There's no peace in them, there's no satisfaction in them. What Jesus is saying to you tonight is this, listen. Whatever temple you've been going to, for identity, for purpose, whatever it is that you're counting on to make you count in life, what Jesus is saying to you is, look, destroy the temple. Tear it down. I'm building a new temple. (laughs) Destroy this temple. I'm raising up a new temple. Destroy that temple. I'm raising up a new temple. These temples aren't going to satisfy you. These temples aren't going to last. Again, don't hear me wrong. It's it's not wrong to have a family or a job or wealth. But if any of those things are ultimate in your life, you will never have peace. And here's the the worst thing. You'll never know God. You'll never really know God. You'll never really know God. God until you get into his temple, until you find identity in his temple. If you're trusting in a false temple, you'll never know God. Jesus is saying, destroy the temple, destroy the temple. I'm raising up a new temple. It's a better temple, it's an eternal temple. Destroy the temple, I'm raising up a new temple. Jesus is saying, do you look to me? I am the true temple, and I wanna send my spirit to you. Look to me, I am true peace, I am true celebration, I am true grace, look to me, and I'm sending my spirit to you. Destroy the temple, I'm building a new temple. And here's the deal, when you hear him say that to you, you'll either believe him, and you'll look to him, and you'll give your life to him, or you'll be like these people, and you'll say, crucify him, get rid of him, kill him. He's a threat to the temple. He's trying to destroy the temple. I'm just gonna tell you, that's what Jesus is trying to do. (laughs) Whatever your temple is, he's out to destroy it. So watch out. And you'll either obey him and look to him and find real peace and real life that won't let you down in his temple or you'll hold on to your empty temples and your desolate walls. Let's pray. As we close tonight, I just wanna give you a moment uh, to meditate on, on the words of Christ. Tear down the temple and I'll raise it up in three days. I'm raising up a temple in three days. What, what is it that needs to be torn down? That, that you're putting too much faith into, you're putting too much life into, and you're not trusting Jesus. What is it that uh, is distracting you? It, it, it may be legitimate sin in your life that you just have to tear down. It's keeping you from knowing God. It may be a good thing that's just become too important What is it that you need to give over to the Lord tonight? And just as you're meditating on that, the, the good news of the the gospel is this: Jesus identifies with us. He identifies with us in all of our weaknesses. He came to seek after us, even when we were seeking after other things, even when we were seeking after false temples. Even we were trying to find identity in places other than God. Jesus came and he took on that sin. He, he made us right before the Father by dying in our place. And so the good news of the gospel is that if, if God is convicting you now, you don't have to come to him in fear. You can come to him knowing that the Lord disciplines those he loves. The Lord's discipline knows that he cares about, that he's pursuing to so repent and turn to him accept his love look to his son as we close just take a few minutes to to in the silence meditate on these things thanks for listening to the christ covenant sermon podcast If you have any prayer needs, questions, or comments about the sermon, we would love to hear from you. So please text us at 678-951-9041 or feel free to email Jason at jason at christcovenant.com.